Blog Talk Radio. Tom Donaldson from the Donaldson Files. Uh, Coco Konsky, my co-host, is on a Tuesday sabbatical, but she'll be back tomorrow night in her usual spirits and self as we talk politics and the latest. And tonight we've got a special show on labor. It's called the Post-Labor Day Show. Uh, we've got Dr. Larry Federa, who's going to talk about conscious capitalism. Uh, Claire DeBella, who works for Freedom Works. He's going to talk about the future of, of workers of the 21st century. And uh, Jim Eccles, a good friend of mine, an associate of the America's PAC and America's Majority Foundation, will be talking about diversity in the workplace and the future of the workplace. So we're going to kind of talk about labor today, and I'm going to get everybody uh, kind of caught up. I am, I do run a super PAC, so I'm an evil super packer. Uh, uh, for America's PAC, I'm also work as a project director for America's Majority Foundation, and I'm going to also kind of throw in here. I'm going to kind of get all uh, talk. But first of all, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Jim. How are you, Jim Eccles? How are you doing? Kind of tell everybody something about yourself. Well, thank you, Tom. I'm uh, I'm glad to be invited to participate this afternoon. Sounds like a good a good case. Uh, most of my uh, work uh, in the last few years has been in and around workforce development, and uh, particularly with emphasis in the area of vocational technical type training. I think it uh, serves a useful purpose for uh, individuals who are particularly coming out of high school or uh, changing uh, career areas of work uh, because you have a short period of time that you can get uh, training and certifications of various kinds to earn a very decent wage for a short period of time investment and uh, cost as far as student loans and some of the horror stories we hear about student loan uh, debt that individuals have but yet have not acquired necessary skills for a good income. And so I'm uh, focusing in that area and and hopefully working with uh, uh, our school district in my area, in Kansas City area, to try and steer students to go the route of vocational technical training as they pursue their higher education, whether they go on to a bachelor's degree or a professional degree. And so that's especially, and I feel very good about it. All right, uh, Claire, why don't you tell us uh, something about yourself other than uh, you're brilliant and you. <laughs> How are you, Tom, this afternoon? Um, I, uh, uh, hello from Hello from uh, New York City. I am um, the Director of Senior Initiatives and Retirement Readiness Issues uh, for the Freedom Works Foundation. And um, I come from the um, – I come from the financial industry where I spent 
a good bulk of my career, and since then have been an entrepreneur on a number, a couple of the digital industries, and then focused on enhancing retirement savings, coming up with ideas, uh, exploring how seniors and retirees are continuing to work past the quote-unquote retirement um, uh, years and the different industries that they are populating. Um, so we're seeing changes, of course, in the employment um, in the employment area since COVID, but I could sum up changes that we're certainly seeing where having any kind of digital background is going to be really essential, you know, going forward. But more on that later. I'm delighted to be part of the uh, group discussion today and look forward to uh, contributing and learning. Take care. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Larry, you got so much in your resume that I sometimes cannot keep track. But I know that you've worked in the areas of employment and work. So why don't you kind of give people your your background dealing with this specific issue? Well, I'm interested in uh, in um, the, the comment about the digital um, requirement for uh, future employment because I just just now finished a, a counseling session with a. Um, a coming college uh, sophomore who was asking that, those kinds of questions, and I guess I gave her the right uh, the right advice because that's what I told her. <laughs> so um, that that part comes from my uh, previous experience as a as a uh, college president. But um, my uh, my main uh, I guess. Well, I've done a lot of things, uh, I, uh, but in the field of labor, uh, I mean labor relations, um, I had my first experience in 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 as a uh, in contact with a labor union when I had a summer job after my first year of teaching, and it was with a with a national newspaper, and uh, we got we had a meeting. And in the meeting, uh, it was, I found out that you know what it was supposed to be about, what it was supposed to be, and they, I found out that it was the uh, group of uh, editors were uh, getting ready to tell the publisher that they wanted the union, and they needed somebody to go and talk to the publisher. And I was just sitting there listening, and all of a sudden, I got nominated and elected right there and there. And it turned out that the reason they did that was because I was a temporary employee, and if they took any, if they took any, uh, any uh, retribution, that uh, that I, I would uh, be the least, the one that would be least likely to to suffer. So that's how I. That was my first brush with uh, with labor. Uh, later on, um, I I was involved with. Uh, uh, the uh, labor uh, labor uh, relations uh, labor presidents association, uh, which uh, consisted of the presidents of all of the major labor unions, and uh, we did a number of uh, number of projects for them as a, as a consultant and uh, in connection with the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, Rail uh, uh, Authority. Uh, I can't remember the actual title of that, but anyway, it was the Department of Government that handles the uh, railroads. So 
Uh, and then after that, I was also involved with the uh, teachers union of uh, any uh, national education association. So I have some some kind of uh, certainly sympathy and and perspective from the uh, labor side, even though I've actually been in management all my life. Yeah. Oh, well, so. Yeah, I'm going to say because so far, I mean, people should know about. I mean, you've started university. You, 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 you know, we call you the conservative, the conservative philosopher of thoughts. Uh, but you've also been involved, worked with government with vaccines. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, like yeah. I say, you've got a well-versed uh, path. Uh, so what I would like to do is go start off with you, Claire, because. Is you talk about digital, and I know before we go into the next break, explain to people the importance of digital into the future. All right. Oh, sure, Tom. Um, well, essentially, um, as you know, the, the the boomers started some of the digital transitions. What I what I mean by that is Microsoft and uh, software companies and computer companies. But now, when I talk about digital, I'm really talking about um, the internet-based companies and how the transition to internet is really happening at a full speed. So uh, not only internet, but cloud-related companies, which means that we no longer have, you know, have, everything is basically online and in the internet. Let me let me keep it simple. So that I think that young people, millennials uh, in particular, you know, and certainly Generation Z, has to, when I look at the future, will have to have some type of programming skills. So that's one perspective. But the beauty of this perspective means that this, this uh, educational background can take place at community colleges. You know, so that two years of community college programming coursework can double your income, if not triple or more, depending on the expertise that you attain. Um, what we're finding now is that, you know, college education and all of its costs for the millennial generation is not paying off in all the job-related benefits that were thought and that certainly previous generations, Gen X and boomers, really enjoyed. So that I think that there are lots of alternatives there, but the digital is so important because every industry is transitioning in that manner, even from whether you're talking about a software company, whether you're talking about Google, Amazon, and all of the retail digital e-commerce companies, but even something as simple as a Domino's Pizza benefited substantially because they turned their business into a mobile app digital business that enabled them to profit substantially when coronavirus hit. That's how important I think the restaurant business industry will be looking at digital transitions in the years ahead. So I think young people have a great opportunity here. Um, all manner of um, differentiations, I think, will be, um, will be able to enhance your skills going forward. Wait, hold on to that. Yeah, hold on to that. I saw this from Tom Donson of the Donson Files. With the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern 
at blogtalkradio.com. And if you missed the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Yes, um, and also don't forget the the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network is uh, every day, 3 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, midnight to 7 a.m. Pacific Time at the BachelorNewsAirtime.pro. And if you want to be part of this conversation today, this is the number you call, 646-929-0130, 646-929-0130, or you can tweet me at the Donaldson Files on Twitter, at Donaldson Files Twitter. So if you want to be part of this conversation, this is your opportunity. And, okay, Larry, I'm going to kind of follow up with you. You know, she's talking, I mean, you, she talked about the importance of digital and you're, you kind of mentioned something on that. What's your thoughts? Who who, who are you asking? Uh, you, Dr. Larry. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, I think it's important because, um, as, I, as I was just uh, telling this uh, young lady, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I, I was presented with the, with the uh, choice of taking the typing class with all the girls or playing football. So I took football, and now I wish I had taken the, the typing class at least. Because everything, uh, you know, I grew up in management, for example, with secretaries. Well, they don't have secretaries anymore. You're supposed to do all that uh, on your computer. And um, and then, of course, the other thing is all the social media and, and the advertising and uh, and also the instructional side. There's just so many applications of uh, computers and, and digital uh, products, and we really haven't seen much yet. I mean, next next is coming robotics, and um, we already have that in a lot of factories, but it's now coming into into our uh, homes and and as retail products will shortly. And of course, then there's the uh, weapons development and and all of the advanced. Uh, Subjects that uh, that that will be uh, extremely important in this next generation. So I, I mean I think there's just no question that you really have to, if you even want to find out what what what's going on, uh, you have to you have to have some uh, literacy. And I don't know if you have to do programming as such, but you you really need to know how how it all fits together. And that's something yeah. that. A lot of these kids coming up already have when they, when they, you know, even before they get into college. But I also but yeah, think yeah, that, I got, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna follow up before we get because yeah, we'll get right back to you know you bring up typing. I I gotta tell my story here, real quick because in eighth grade, I took a summer school course in typing, and smart and I can boy, tell you, it was like yeah, and and I tell you it was interesting because. You know, I learned how to type pretty quickly, and it's always been a skill that I've used all my life, because you know, especially when you got a keyboard. You know, so those old basic skills are still valuable when you talk about it because they are translatable 
from, let's say, the typewriter to the keyboard. And, and now I'm going to get to you, Jim, is uh, you know, what do you, I mean, you, you know, I mean, you are now consulting. Now, much of what you do is, is on the diversity side, but when you sit down with employers, employees, with employers, you know, what are some of the things you tell them for this workforce of the 21st century? I mean, we talked about the digital side. What else do you add to that? Right, and I would, and I would ditto her comments regarding the uh, digital, because uh, what we've got to figure out here, uh, particularly when I look at diverse and particularly inner cities, youth in high school, particularly, is we've got to get them in some type of a track that focuses on obtaining skills as quickly as possible because in general we hear all the horror stories about uh, individuals who uh, build up a lot of student loan debt yet they haven't completed any type of degree or even certification but they've got student loan debt that's affecting their credit and lots of other things for a long period of time and so we've got to figure out a way while they're in high school, particularly in that junior and senior year, to get them on track so that they uh, develop a certain level of discipline so that they can successfully complete coursework and so on. Right now, in view of, of the pandemic, as far as health concerns and so on, there's got to be uh, the ability to go online and do remote classroom work but it takes a certain level of maturity in order to have the discipline to you know compete and do this and so all these things are falling and and basically forcing us to rethink how we do it and how we do this yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. here's i'm gonna gonna start with you claire because you kind of make an is that training for the new job force, because in the past, college degree was the way to go. Get your college degree, yes. and you got a leg up. But if you look at it today, it, I mean, for example, you know, is a two-year program at let's say, maybe, let's say a community college to get a skill, or maybe let's say, you know, and, you know, maybe let's say go into let's say a program where like with a plumbing or some of these. You know these, where you basically find yourself skilled in a situation labor. where, yeah, skilled labor, because the yeah. the number of skilled labor. I mean, my and please you know and please correct me if I'm wrong, is but my understanding is we got a shortage of what we classify as quote unquote skilled labor. Not only do we have a shortage, you know, but um, the the COVID environment, not that it will last forever, certainly demonstrated a massive need for skilled labor, plumbers, construction workers, you know, certainly um, a whole electricians. And it's interesting where when I saw in New York the um, this flood of evacuees into the Hamptons and upstate New York and uh, all of these other regions, the demand for the skilled labor went through the roof. So that if you needed a contractor or a plumber, you had to wait weeks. You know, again, a demonstration of lack of demand. But to your point of the college issue, the thing about college, when I went to college, you know, last century, it was $6,000 a year. You know, now a college student 
graduating with 200000 or more in debt, it changes the equation of cost-benefit uh, analysis in terms of uh, college worth if you can't find a job right away that helps you pay down that type of debt. So given the need of digital, digital demand is here to stay. Now, again, when I say digital demand, I mean simple programming even or any kind of skill in that regard. Um, there, is a, there is a significant lack of engineering talent in the United States. Um, th these engineering degrees are at such a deficit, that's why we have so many uh, foreign students that come into the United States to work in Silicon Valley. But um, you, can get, you can get a program degree um, uh, from General Assembly or from a community college that can get you right into a digital job. Every single industry offers job opportunities, whether it's the financial industry, you've seen a stream of fintech companies like Robinhood, you know, Wealthfront. You see the healthcare area transitioning to telemedicine. That's another digital job opportunity. Digital media is here to stay in a, in a major way. And um, I think a whole range of service jobs will offer uh, enormous opportunities. The biggest problem in the tech industry, um, and certainly it was mentioned, you know, you mentioned uh, a lack of diversity. Right now, uh, in the tech industry, only three to four percent of the jobs are held by black or uh, Hispanic employees in those areas. So there's a lot of there's a lot of work that has to be done, I think, to really enhance those numbers, particularly as we go well into the 21st century, where that's going to be the name of the game in terms of growth. Well, the other thing is that even in the so-called skilled uh, trades, you're also those are getting more and more digitized. For you know, you can't be a carpenter anymore unless you know how to use some of the gadgets that measure the room and the and the and the, and the, and the all of the mathematics that goes into it. I mean, these guys, they know their stuff, and, I, and I'm sure Jim's uh, seen that in, in, in spades. But but we, we we also, you know, I think one of the things that we just have to have to just accept is the fact that digitization is here to stay, and it's going to be more and more uh, uh, intrusive and and universal in our in our lifestyle. True I mean, enough. Who can listen yeah. to television anymore without getting play, getting your your fingers wrapped around some kind of remote control, for instance? It's just it it it's 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 everywhere, and uh, and the idea that it has to be in in the in the uh, in the poorer sections of our of our cities and, and rural areas is is, is is I mean it's not even debatable. It, it's just so obvious. It's it's got to happen. Well, let me, okay, Jim, let me bring you in here because the importance of STEM education is what you know, Claire is referring to in the fact that, let's say, when you look at the technology side of the equation, you know, there's a you know, lack of minorities in those positions. And my question would be, is this, you know, you know first of all, number one, where do we go? Is it, is it a, a, with STEM education that we need to be talking about, let's say, within the inner city or let's say, even in the suburban area where let's say blacks and Hispanics are moving into, going into schools, you know, what do we need to be doing to get, let's say, that focus back into that area for many minorities? One well, thing I would is say, that, uh, 
one thing that's helped a lot. One thing that's helped a lot is the uh, is the cell phone and the cost of the cell phones coming down so much that uh, those are really computers, and a lot of kids have those now, and and that's really a good introduction. But I I didn't mean to step on your line, Jim. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. That's no problem. I was I was just going to say, and we're hearing more talk about the. Uh, historic uh, black colleges and universities, as far as a pool of human resources there for the training, whether we're looking at the vocational technical, the digital, all of the above, as far as acquiring and increasing the diversity, particularly in the tech fields and so on, I think there's a resource there in those historic uh, black colleges and universities, along with junior colleges and my thinking is right now in this in this era I think we're going to see uh, community colleges become a lot more important in the scheme of things even if, even when we talk about digital and STEM now, let me ask all three of you this question is to what extent today how many jobs would you say out there comparatively don't necessarily require a college degree but are going to be sufficient or high-paying jobs to you know to move into. I mean, we talked about some of the like a digital you know, use of digital, even in let's say what we call the basic blue collar. So, what percentage would you say we you know do not necessarily require a college degree that's out there? Well, I'll start with you, Claire. It's hard to put a number on it, Tom. Um, I would say a couple of areas. Um, I think the service industry, uh, the hotel, restaurants, um, uh, uh, health and wellness areas may not, anything service related may not require the, the college degree. Um, I think that um, startup culture could be a lot more flexible today than it was, say, 20 years ago in terms of the college degree demands. So the college degree demands are much more prevalent and pervasive in corporate America. So the financial industry, you know, corporate uh, uh, companies across the nation, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I think there's a little more flexibility about that college degree demand than there used to be going forward in more areas than we think. Okay, Jim, what about what do you think on that? Because obviously – you know, you're in the diversity side of the equation. We, but is this kind of an angle or a way? Because for a lot of minorities, the cost of education can be a certain factor that weighs against it. And if you find a way, let's say community colleges or let's say training programs like, um, uh, or, you know, like let's say going into the plumbing or electrical field, where you can mm-hmm. get that kind of training, is this a way? to maybe deal with that side of the equation, the cost side of the equation? It is because the costs are problematic, not only while the student is attending school and getting that education and training, but the cost is a problem because the majority, particularly from the inner city for any number of reasons, uh, poverty-related reasons and otherwise, uh, you're going to have a lot individuals who are going to have the debt but not yet obtain 
the level of skills to be uh, productive and to earn a decent income. And so that leads to credit problems later on as far as uh, apartments or housing or purchasing vehicles, transportation. And so it just uh, spins totally out of control. And so we've got to find a way again to focus during those, particularly the mid to the end of high school years, to be vocation focused, period. That individual has got to be focused on vocation, and the school is going to have to make that possible so that in many cases you can have uh, high school seniors graduating with a high school diploma, but also certificates and certifications in certain skills simultaneously from a vocational technical school simultaneously with that high school diploma. Yeah. Hold on. I think that's right that's on the money. That's yeah. right on the okay. money. When, when we were in yeah. high school, um, uh, when we were in high school in Pennsylvania, we used to have Votech, and um, and so it really prepared students, you know, certainly for those that didn't intend to go to a corporate track to really start earning right away. I think some pretty good, um, some pretty good wage mm-hmm. enhancements. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that doesn't okay. exist yeah. as prevalently as it did. Today. Yeah, hold on to that thought, uh, Claire. Are you going to be able to stay a little bit longer? Because I know you, I know you got some appointments coming up. Yes, yes, I'll be fine. I'll be another fifteen minutes. That'll be good. Okay, sounds good. This is Tom Donson. Thanks. Here on the Donson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, don't forget to get your flu shots, ladies and gentlemen, because the flu season's coming. And yes, I know we're in COVID, but don't forget the flu in particular for younger people can be even more deadly for those under the age of 40 than even COVID. So just remember, flu shots matter for all ages. Make sure you get yours. Uh, also, welcome back to the Donaldson Files. Call in 646-929-0130. 646-929-0130. Also, you can be tweeting me any questions right now at the Donaldson Files on Twitter. So get a hold of us in basically two ways. So uh, Twitter and this telephone call. And now let's go back to very briefly uh, to what we were talking about. Uh, you, you talk about, uh, Claire, you're talking about the vocational side of the equation because certainly, you know, it was a way for many to get into the blue-collar job of the equation, start earning money. And and I and I kind of like that idea, and I know both you and Jim brought that up. Uh, uh, Larry, I'm going to throw you back in. What's your thoughts and what you know, Claire just said about that? Well, I think I think the difference, the uh, distinction between blue collar and and white collar, is is beginning to to diminish and. Um, by that I mean that there are a lot of things that used to be um, require uh, s- skills that 
were uh, peculiar to uh, particular uh, skill uh, skill sets, like you know, uh, journeymen uh, plumbers and so on, which now have been digitized and are uh, really available to a lot of people. And so, therefore, uh, what you have is a lot of um, uh, overlap between what what the uh, the people that have the degrees and the people that don't have the degrees are actually all capable of doing a lot of the same things. So, what is happening in addition to that then is that as more and more of the machines that these uh, skilled uh, craftsmen work on uh, become digitized, then the more they have to learn about how to do it. For example, if you're if you're uh, talking to a um, auto mechanic these days, and you want to find out what what, what is wrong, why is your car engine knocking? Then he's going to pull out a very complicated piece of equipment, and 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 uh, Bullet, uh, you know, bolt it all up and, and then run it. And when he gets done, what he's got is the uh, state of that motor, and probably uh, he hopes uh, that uh, he now knows what to work on. Well, uh, if if the guy that owned that car was a, a mechanical engineer or uh, some uh, kind of a computer whiz. He probably could could run that machine himself. What he couldn't do is probably fix the uh, fix the problem. So there, there's always going to be a place for for the guy with the with the uh, you know with the dirty uh, fingernails. But um, I think we have to really take into account that that the impact of this digital age is is really. Uh, it's 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 extremely uh, intimidating, and and we better get ready for it. And a lot of people aren't, including all the people in the elementary, in the K-12, and the university level education. Uh, Jim was talking about we got we have to get career oriented people, uh, uh, students that are career oriented out of that out of that environment. And, and I say, how are you going to do that with teachers who don't really have any career uh, orientation except uh, what they're doing now? And, they, and not everybody can become a teacher. And, and this is a problem that I faced years and years ago. Uh, I was one of the uh, innovators of uh, the first uh, serious uh the computer, uh, and, uh, computer-based uh, instruction uh, was called Plato, and um, we were we, we were teaching people to do all kinds of things. But one of the things that we that we is in the favor of what Jim is trying to accomplish is that what computers are really good at is skill training because they have they have patience. They can go over and over the same stuff and never get mad, never get frustrated. And I, I, there are great stories about that. But um, I think I think this whole thing is huge, and I think Claire's uh, got, you know, she's she's got a handle on it. But it's it, we we've got to really think big, folks. I, I couldn't agree more. I would also. 
Oh, I would also say, oh. just add another point to that. Um, the, the, another huge trend that is really taking place is there are going to be a lot of aging baby boomers. And thinking about businesses that are attached to them, a huge one being caregiving is going to present enormous job opportunity for people that don't necessarily need a college degree. Um, it may not be the job for everyone, but there are going to be a lot of jobs available in this booming aging demographic in the decades ahead. Uh, Jim, do you have any additional thoughts? Uh, I just wanted to add that in my home area, Kansas City, Kansas, on any given day, we will have seventeen or 1,800 vacant positions in my county that are vacant. Most of those positions uh, do not require a college degree, a baccalaureate four-year degree. Most of them pay an average of about $40,000 a year. But we have great difficulty filling those positions because most of them are trades-related. As we mentioned, some of the trades there that are vocational-type trades, and it's hard to match up a number of students who are completing the requirements and certifications to actually do the job placement. And so there has to be an ongoing searching outside of the county to fill the positions, which is a logistical uh, nightmare oftentimes, but there are all these vacancies and uh, we lack the talent in the county. Now, let me ask you, you know, I'm going to change something a little bit later here, a little bit yeah, going into the future is, like I say, for many of us, we grew up, it was not uncommon, you got your job at the local factory, you got your job at the local company, you may stay with that company for you know, decades until you retired. It was almost, if you were starting in the 50s, 60s, or 70s, you know, those of us, you know, we had this opportunity to basically be with a company or company, you know, and retire and, you, and walk away with something. Now today you got multi, you know, you got people going to be changing multiple jobs. You got a flexibility, a work flexibility, but it also leads to the you know setting things up like, for example, just the basics of retirement. And I know Claire, this is one thing that you've looked into over the years. You know the retirement issue for those who are now, you know, let's say the younger workers today. You know, how do you prepare for that retirement? especially when you may be going for two, three, four different companies in the course of a lifetime. True. I think, um, I mean, if, if what you're saying is that um, for the most part, we're, we've dug into studies, and you're certainly familiar with this, Tom, about how people yeah. have not prepared for retirement, uh, the boomers now that are approaching 60 years old, and so there have been some substantial uh, lack of retirement savings uh, for that demographic in um, in middle income America, and so going forward to your point, I think it's going to take a lot more discipline for younger people to really make sure they continue to put away money into their 401k, roll it over property properly into the next job, or if they don't work for a company that offers a 401k, to have the discipline to open up an IRA and save themselves. You know, so there's really a lot of um, importance in focusing on that. Now, the good news is that there are 
um, there's a lot more digital uh, tool availability for this. Fidelity, Charles Schwab, and other organizations, you know, offer the small saver a lot of resources to keep track. But again, I think it's a new discipline, and I think it's um, it's something that takes a lot more um, understanding, widespread understanding, which is also why financial, I think financial uh, resources should be taught in schools, in high schools, so that people know how to save, how to invest, what it really means if they don't have some access to someone in their family. It teaches them how to do these things or in their network. Hold on, uh, this is Tom Donson uh, with the Donson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Tomorrow night, Coco Konski will be back from her sabbatical and what she's working on uh, to join us for the latest conversation in in politics. So, Donson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. This is Donson Files. Welcome once again. And don't forget, you can listen to this show 3 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on the Bachelor News Airtime dot pro. That's Bachelor News dot Airtime dot pro. 3 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern Time, midnight to 7 a.m. Pacific Time. And if you want to participate in, over the last uh, 20 minutes of this program, we still have openings. You can call this 929-0130-646-929-0130. All right. I get, all right, I, I'm going to kind of very briefly, because uh, I want to kind of get both Jim and Larry in on this now. Larry, you've been a supporter of what we call conscious capitalism. And one of the points that you know, she talked about, you know, you know, setting up retirement, and certainly you, you know, have had this discussion with various uh, corporate executives who are members of this movement, and how can corporations or companies themselves help prepare, you know, these workers for their retirement and become part of, let's say, the reinvent the investor class? Well, I guess there are two, two uh, practical ways, uh, one of which is uh, that we talk, talk about a lot, and that is educational uh, programs uh, that get you know down to the question of what um, what do people uh, need to do and how much they should save and what are going to be the requirements and so on Um, the other way though is something that I think is going to be more and more fostered when the conscious if you're in a conscious capital uh, company and that is they're going to have they already have uh, a lot of um, disclosure of the financial issues that um, that uh, that are that are that the company faces as a whole, which includes things like retirement and things like um, trying to uh, figure out 
you know, not only how do we how do we f- finance it, but also how do we um, how how do we uh, uh, what should we do about it? You know, what and if we've got funds that uh, are part of the program, then uh, maybe we should uh, do something with those funds. And, and how, where where are we going to put them? How how are we going to invest them? What is it going to be short term, long term? When when are they going to be needed? All of the same kinds of uh, questions that uh, that a private investor has to make also. So and, and and I think if people are exposed to those kinds of questions, uh, that uh, they, you know they're going to uh, they're going to learn a lot about how to wh- what the issues are and how to go about trying to uh, solve the issues. And um, and I think that might have a lot more impact, frankly, than the classes. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, kind of follow. I'm going to follow up with Jim in this question to you, because one of your mm-hmm. areas of expertise is is diversity in the future workplace. Because obviously we're a country where, let's say, Hispanics are the fastest growing uh, minority. You have a you're a number one immigrant, I mean, actual when it comes to legal immigration. Asians are becoming, you know, like your number one immigration side of the equation. And you still, let's say, you know, you have, you know, blacks as well trying to move up the economic ladder. And, and so basically we're becoming a more diverse country in that way. So how do you go into a corporation and say, okay, here's your workforce of the future, you know, how do you prepare them for a training that force, hiring that force, and working, having that force work together, let's say, with maybe a company and, and get that part of the company culture? Okay, well, this is uh, that's an interesting question, and let me share this as a kind of a, a preamble for that. And that is, if you look at the private sector, the public sector, and say the faith-based or uh, community-based nonprofits. Right now, my company, we receive 90% of our calls and inquiries come from private companies. They're wanting to engage in work that will further diversify their workforce and their concern about this both from an internal employee relations internally as well as externally promoting the company, their image, externally as well as internally. Because most companies are finding now that when they have diversity in the C-suite, mid-management, supervisory, along with rank-and-file workforce, they're finding that their bottom line is much better if they have diversity within that workforce. And the for-profit entities, businesses, are more attuned to this than government, law enforcement, and some of the other uh, uh, organizations. And so we're getting call-ins on this, and most of it is driven by profits. They can be much more competitive in the marketplace. And so right now I'm seeing a lot more of that, and it's coming in. Rather than us having to work hard to promote it, we are getting inquiries for us to fulfill niches in this area. Well, let me ask you a question. Why is that? Why, in, 
your view, it's more profitable. What is that driving force that makes it more profitable? I think it's, I think it is because, uh, uh, first of all, a business is just in general going to be more efficient than say a governmental agency or, or even a nonprofit, because they're going to be more attuned to waste and this type of thing. But I think what makes it competitive and what makes it better now is if something about your company is negative, whether it be an employee relations issue or issue uh, that might border on cultural conflict or racial conflict, bad news travels 10 times as fast as good news. And that travels to the outside and it affects depending on who your clientele that you're serving in your business, that bad news, uh, bad news travels and people are looking. If they've got two entities that are competitive in their pricing and their quality of their services, they're going to go on what they hear. And if that image is bad, it's going to affect your bottom line. And I think that's why they're so uh, attuned and make it, such an importance right now and I've seen it enhanced even during this pandemic and and some of the uh, protests we've seen around the country business is more in tune let me kind of let me follow up in this way if you have a more diverse uh, workforce but but you also have a more diverse uh, customer base too would that be another reason why right because reaching out to that's right you got you're going to broaden if you got a if you broaden the diversity of your workforce you're going to simultaneously see the broadening of your external clientele also that you're serving yeah okay uh claire what's the i mean you i mean like i said you live in new york city so with you know some of the points that he's making by diversity and how it can actually be profitable in expanding your customer base, you know what's your experience as somebody who's lived in a city that's rather, you know, quite frankly, very diverse in their population? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I think, um, you know, I've worked in the financial industry, uh, and I worked there for about 28 years, and so they were a little slower in diversifying their, the industry. Um, and I think there's a lot more pressure on them to move quicker in terms of really doing that uh, in the investment field. I think private equity uh, is still very, very limited in terms of diversity and even female participation in terms of partnership positions. You know, so, so I think uh, the media industry uh, obviously, is still a big one. Pr- public relations, fashion, but the management and uh, 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 administrative part of those industries still need a lot of work in terms of diversity. The one thing I would say for sure is that if you talk to uh, recent college graduates going into the employment, the workforce, they're very much interested and demand um, social impact investment, uh, diversity. Um, ESG, you know, anything having to do with really making sure there's a lot more social consciousness in the industry they're involved in and in the workforce. 
So I see, a, I think it will be a sea change in the next decade in terms of having significantly more participation by, you know, the black, Hispanic, um, you know, multicultural community come into play in a, in a big way. Because okay, as, many, as, as, Jim, as Jim was saying, the private sector now has a very, very big focus on it, a spotlight on it to make change quickly. And quite frankly, they really can do it faster. Okay, Larry, kind of follow up on the thoughts of, with the idea of going into the uh, conscious capitalist ideals of you espouse. You know, how does that fit into what they're talking about? Well, one of the one of the factors in the conscious uh, capitalism movement is the fact that they tend to be uh, considerably more profitable than non-conscious companies, and they, the the first thing they give the the, the reason uh, there there hasn't been a lot of analysis I don't think on on what, what the reason is, but one of the things that is uh, happening is that when um, when when, the, when you have a, a workforce that is actually participating in all of the uh, in all of the actions all the aspects and actions of the uh, of the company, uh, which includes uh, as I said uh, includes the uh, financial and the, and the hiring and the uh, all, all, and, and management decisions, you know, are we going to close down? Are we going to all go on furlough? Are we all going to take a raise? Uh, are we all going to take a cut? Uh, depend. And when that gets to be very democratic, one of the things that happens is that uh, your your GNA costs go way down because you don't your your employees tend to last stay with you a lot longer, so you don't have uh, the uh, hiring and uh, interview uh, and training question that there are problems that you have normally. Uh, your uh, lawsuits go down. Your uh, uh, All of your uh, your benefits are actually built in, and there really is no everybody's agreed to it, so there isn't going to be any real real uh, problems with it, and, and so on. And there are a lot of, lot of things that are uh, related to that. So it, what Jim talks about in terms of the uh, diversity issue, I think, is very uh, consistent with uh, with what uh, Claire said about uh, the younger generation wanting a lot more of the uh, uh, of, of the uh, types of uh, uh, diversity and, and and equality and and so on that. Uh, that uh, that they, that they have. So, I think it's all it all can work very well together. And of course, we haven't really talked about one of the other issues which uh, uh, I've found myself pretty interested in, and that is can uh, can all of this happen? Uh, where where is the where is the, the labor's place at the table now? But uh, I think that's a whole different program, which you can hear tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Well, very briefly, don't forget, uh, Dr. Larry follows our show on the Block Talk Radio Network uh, tomorrow. And obviously, you just heard what it is he's going to be talking about. 
uh, conscious capitalism in the and I guess he's going to take our conversation a little further. Okay, Jim, I'm going to, like I said, we got about five minutes left. So I'm going to, first of all, uh, what's the, the you know, workers' future, future of workers and the future of employers in their relationship as you see it going forward? Going forward, I see, uh, I see the private sector moving the fastest. And I see the, in general, our private enterprise system lifting more people out of poverty than any other sector. Okay, uh, Claire, uh, somebody says to you, uh, future of the workers, where do we go from here? Uh, your thoughts? I, well, <laughs> I couldn't agree more with Jim's uh, summary very trenchant summary here. I think, uh, I think, as opposed to a lot of criticism about the private sector, I think we're going to see uh, a technology-fueled renaissance almost that will provide just an enormous opportunity for uh, people, um, particularly people of all diverse backgrounds. Why is that? Because it's never been uh, easier to start a business, to join a startup with all the technical technological tools that are available for one to operate. That doesn't mean that all these businesses will be successful, but I think they will provide a range of opportunities that can enhance wealth creation to a degree that we haven't even begun to see, you know, at this stage. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a Mark Zuckerberg, who, by the way, is not a college graduate, but the point that I'm making is that we're going to see entrepreneurial um, enhancements both at the startup level and within corporations. Why within businesses? Because the pace of global change will also start moving faster and faster. So companies will have to continually innovate in order to stay competitive. That's good news for employees, very good news for employees, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I say, Jim, you once said this to me. You know, when we were talking about the urban centers, and you said to me the problem with the urban centers is there's just not enough capitalism. But certainly this will be the future of battlegrounds of ideas. And I know uh, tomorrow night, uh, Dr. Larry, you're going to bring more of that discussion on your conversation following up uh, what we're doing here tonight with conscious capitalism uh, and, the, and the movement that is, you know, that is, that is spawned. So I wanted to kind of, and so I know we got about a couple of minutes left. So I want to just say, first of all, I want to thank everybody for being on the show. Uh, Jim, very briefly, uh, tell everybody about your company. Okay, my company is Renaissance Management and Training Solutions. We are, our big umbrella is public relations, but we specialize in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Most people associate that more with uh, culture and race, gender, and the various alphabets that are evolving right now. But we also include in that space returning citizens from incarceration groups that we support. Yeah. Yeah, And also, very briefly, uh, you've got about 20 seconds, Claire, so talk about Freedom Works and what you're doing. Sure. Um, well, basically, we support um, certainly free markets, and uh, I'm director of senior initiatives 
and retirement readiness, just analyzing how this aging demographic is going to impact politics, policy, and our economy, uh, the good, the bad, and the, uh, the challenges that we face. But mostly I'm optimistic well, about the, the innovations ahead. Thank you very much. It's Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're saying goodnight. Don't forget to join us tomorrow night when Coco Koski joins us. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we are here joining you with uh, my host of the show, and I'm the co-host, uh, Chief Keith Humphrey. How you doing today? Chief? You don't not until you get it right, bro. Oh, that's right, that's right. So, to to all of our listeners, if you're first time tuning in to the show, this is. Chief Swag. This is Chief Swag. And all so right. how, how is that? that? Okay, so for fun, all man. of you getting better. I shouldn't have to tell you. Make this the last time I have to tell you, man. Well, you know what, man. Hey, it, it is what it is, you know. So, but hey, man, we uh we're glad that everybody is joining us today for uh, another edition of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network and. We're, uh, we've got an exciting show um, over the next hour. It's a good topic that we're going to be talking about. And uh, if you're a first-time listener to You and the Law, um, we want to kind of inform you about the show. Uh, this is an informative um, uh, discussion regarding law enforcement and the community. Uh, we discuss matters related to you and, and law enforcement, and uh, so you – can know what your rights are when dealing with the police and what the police uh, should and should not do. And we kind of get into a lot of other topics and, uh, and, and, and discuss some things that are currently happening uh, across the country. And, uh, and, and this week, uh, this is part four of the series of uh, Bridging the Gap. And this week, uh, Keith, we're going to be talking about Cops and Kids Bridging the Gap. Uh, uh, we, we've seen we've got some some audio clips that we're going to play throughout the show that are very disturbing with uh, police officers' interaction with with uh, young black men and young black uh, women. And so, if you're a parent, we uh, please feel free to call in to the show and talk with us at six four six nine two nine zero one three zero and uh, go into the chat room and, and leave a message or. If you come on and, and uh, let the producer know that you've got a, a comment, you may hear some silence, but 
there's somebody there that can take your information and, and put you through it, put you through to us. And, um, or if you just like to leave a comment with him, he'll get that information to us. So Keith, uh, looking forward to the show today, man. Yeah, man. Me too, man. Real good. You know, uh, real good topics, man. Really, uh, things that you can really get into and it's factual information. Um, I think we keep it real. Uh, we'd yeah. really like to see more, uh, you know, invite more people to call in and, and let's, we'd love to hear from you or, uh, you know, send your questions to our producer and, and uh, we'll get those answered. Yeah. And, and also we want to let you know, uh, first time listeners uh, are those who listen to us every week that, um, you know, you can also go to our uh, social media platforms. You can go to our, our Facebook page, which is You and the Law, and you can check out some of the videos and uh, that we're going to be talking about. Uh, and also, you can like our page. You can share share our page with your with your friends and family, and and uh, you can also leave some comments there. So we get those comments uh, live as we're on the air if you go to our Facebook page and you can leave those comments. But uh, Keith, man, this is a, um, today is, has been a kind of a crazy day for some uh, major city chiefs across the country, man. Uh, just in the last couple of hours. Uh, it has, man. And, and I'll tell you, it's uh it just, you know, keeps you thinking, man, that in this profession, especially at this level, um, you just never know when the, when your day is going to be, and so that's why you have to give it your all every day. Yeah, yeah, Keith, and and you know, for those uh, who may not know, you know, the uh, up in Rochester, New York, they've got a a very uh, intense situation that occurred back in March that they've had uh, numerous protests, and um, some has been uh, pretty violent, where destruction of private property, but the uh, police chief who has not been the chief that long uh, announced that he was going to resign and retire. And uh, it's a pretty good checkup, Keith, because several of his deputy chiefs are leaving as well as some of the other people in the command staff. So his uh, decision kind of caught the, the, the mayor and some other city officials off guard. They, I don't believe they were really anticipating that that um, that this would lead to the chief uh, resigning and, and retiring. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I, you know, I'd be interested to know what's behind that. Uh, you know, there's some more behind it, but I want to wish him well. And uh, you know, that I think, uh, yeah, yeah Rochester is going through a lot, just like a lot of the other cities. You know, these videos just keep popping up and. Uh, you know, uh, law enforcement, we, we're going to have to learn that, um, man, we just got to do our job right. We've got to respect people and treat them right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And another, um, you know, chief who who just became a chief, what, what uh, almost two years ago. Uh, no, three they, years. Uh, it's three. three it's oh, been three. three years. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so somebody that, that you and I know, we met, met her several years ago at a noble conference and she was uh, put in as a police chief in Dallas, Texas. Uh, she uh, is going to be resigning at uh, the end of, I believe, November or somewhere around over the next, you know, 30, 45 days. So, and then the, um, 
then I just, you know, saw uh, something else on Twitter where the uh, police chief in Fort Worth is going to resign or actually going to retire. So um, that's um, there. There's a lot of you know in Fort Worth. There's Fort Worth and Dallas. There's not a lot going on, but um, but I think there's obviously obviously some other things that are occurring that are making these career veteran police chiefs, uh, you know, move on to, to something else. Well, I'll tell you, it's, um, man, it's the next few months are going to be trying times for law enforcement. Uh, it's going to, I don't see it. I don't foresee anything changing. All we can do is continue to do the right thing and, and respect people and, and do our jobs and, and keep our community safe. And, and, um, hope that everybody on our department follows suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, so many people keep really kind of, you know, are, are bashing some of the police chiefs, especially in Portland, uh, because they kind of feel like they just kind of, you know, bow down to some of the protesters and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement or whatever. But, you know, and I share people, I've shared it with people that until you sit in the seat of a police chief, you really don't know all the the things that come along with being a police chief. And you and I know the police chief in Portland did not just lay down and, and just let people, you know, come in and just overtake the city. And you've got, it was even fueled by the, the person that's in the white house who sent the federal officers in. And that was to protect the federal buildings. But, you know, you got people really feeling like several police chiefs have really kind of bowed down to 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 these protesters, and that's why there's such chaos going on across the country, Keith. Well, you know, and, and I hear that. And, and, you know, until you've been in these shoes, you know, Virgil, like you and I have, it's really hard. to. It's sort of like you hear about armchair quarterbacking. Uh, you know, until you've been in this seat, it's, it's very difficult to say what you would have done or what you wouldn't have done. But what I, what I want the listeners to understand, those, those incidents didn't just happen overnight in Portland. These are years and years and years of, of, of frustration and things like that, things that are going on behind the scenes that may not even be law enforcement related. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, we're called to, as law enforcement officers, we're called to address these issues. Uh, and so we are the first line of defense, the first line of response here in the, you know, uh, uh, when it, you know, when it comes. And so that's why we have to be equipped because sometimes we're not equipped to handle some of these things because some things are not a law enforcement response. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Keith, we're going to, we're coming up on our first break. We're going to take our first break. Uh, listeners, you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We'll be right back with you. Police in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, say it was a big misunderstanding. Officers mistook an African-American teenager for a robbery suspect and handcuffed him. As Michelle Miller explains, the teen was only riding in the car with his white grandmother. Come out with your hands up, face away from us. After ordering 18-year-old Akil Carter out of his grandmother's car. Hands up high in the air. Face away from us. Walk to the sidewalk. Police placed him in handcuffs and ordered him into the back of a squad car. Officer Gabriel is going to get some information from you, okay? Grandmother Paulette Barr had just left church and was driving Akil to work when police stopped them. Officers say they initially started following them after an African-American man and woman identified the vehicle. They said it was carrying a white woman who was being robbed by two black men. 
but police say they never got a formal statement from those witnesses because they left the area. The family's attorney is skeptical. It seems strange that for all the dash cam footage the police have turned over, we have not seen anything where the officer's interacting with these people. After Carter was detained, an officer is seen exiting the patrol car with his gun outside the holster. Officers then approach the teen's grandmother. Everything okay? This is my grandson. That's your grandson? Yes. Police say Carter was handcuffed for approximately six minutes. Well, I'm guessing what this sounds like is a really big misunderstanding. After the teen was released, a witness captured his grandmother's reaction. That's your grandson? Wow. The family's attorney says even if the police account is accurate, the officers clearly overreacted. Any random person can run up to a police officer now and say, stop that car, it's engaged in a robbery, and that's all it takes. The family's attorney says the frightening encounter left the grandmother feeling helpless, wondering what she could have done to protect her grandson. Michelle Miller, CBS News, New York. Hey, want to... Welcome our listeners back to you and the Long the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we just listened to uh, an audio clip uh, courtesy of uh, CBS uh, in reference to an incident that took place in Wisconsin um, several years ago. And uh, the, uh, it's a very disturbing uh, video, um, all because of the information that the police officers were giving Keith. You know, when you listen to what they said, the car had two black males, but there was only one black male in the car when they pulled over the car. So, and there's a lot of questions about uh, they they were never they never identified the the black couple who supposedly reported this to the police. So there's no record of the police officers having a conversation with the um, with this couple. Uh, at all so it, there's a lot of questions behind it but again you have a an 18 year old that is is being taken out of a car handcuffed and put in the back of a police car and uh, but the guns were drawn so but quite naturally they assumed that there was some kind of robbery going on but Keith you know some of these things can really have um, uh, cause a lot of trauma to our youth, and I, I, I don't believe our police officers are really uh, aware of that. Well, you know, man, I, I think it goes back to: Are we training our officers to be paranoid? Are we training them to be afraid? Or are we training them to use common sense and to be safe? There's a difference between those two those categories. Paranoid, yeah. yeah. And, and scared, uh, common sense, and safe, two different things. I think, and I say this, people understand the purpose of our job. People understand that we go into high-stress, we're a high-stress job, and we go to in sometimes volatile situations, and they expect us, and we they know that there might be a possibility that we may have to utilize up to deadly force. I think people understand that. But what I don't think we'll ever get people to understand is when we can't articulate better or we just assume that people we just assume that people are going to buy into, well, I fear for my safety. Uh, it, it, it's beyond that at this point. 
you have to articulate. You just can't stop people out here willy-nilly. You yeah, just can't right. stop people out here because, yes, you can stop someone for reasonable suspicion and definitely, of course, for probable cause. But you have to be able to articulate why. And articulate isn't making up something. Articulate isn't being isn't saying, well, 10 days ago, this guy driving a uh, such and such was involved in that. I mean, that, that's that's not going to cut it anymore. Um, people are asking to see details. People are asking to get more information. People are asking to see video. People are asking for, for explanations and apologies based on the fact that we could do a better job. And, 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 and to the listeners out here, we're not talking about every police officer. We're not talking yeah, about right. every police department. Let me just make sure everybody understands that because there are some officers out here, the majority of these officers out here are going to do the right thing. However, mm-hmm. when you continue to see the things that we're seeing throughout the nation, the actions of those few officers overshadow the actions of the good officers. And there's yeah. no way you can get around that. Uh, and so I just want to clarify that to to, to – and I said this, and, and we've talked to L.A. about this, and I'm over, over 85%, 90% of the officers out here are doing an amazing job. But you do have those that cause us to be questioned and, and, and stuff. So I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, yeah, Keith. And, and you know, one of the things, because there are so many so many videos that you see coming across social media and, you know, Oftentimes, we, we're still seeing officers who, who have body cam, who have body cameras on them, uh, and you're also seeing either the person they're interacting with is recording it or a bystander is recording it. So, uh, But one of the things is uh, you have a lot of people will say, well, we don't know what happened before because it was only picked up at a certain point in that officer's interaction with with uh, with, with that person, so uh, and like you said, it, it you know a lot of things go back to training, and uh, and I don't really and this is a question you know for our listeners and 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 for those of you who are parents, um, you know definitely call in and and share your concerns with us at uh, about this topic that we're talking about. And you can call in at uh, 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. Because this is a topic that, you know, I'm pretty sure, Keith, that, you know, every parent, whether you're black or Latino, they're they're finding themselves having that talk with their sons and daughters more about being stopped by police. Um and one of the things, Keith, is that many youth do not understand their rights or their responsibilities during law enforcement contacts, and some officers uh, do not understand how a lack of empathy and maturity shapes the way teens act when, when they're interacting with them. So, you know, I don't really think, Keith, there is a, a lot of training that really goes into training officers of how to deal with, with teens because this group of teens are are a lot different than we were when we were growing up. This group of teens are going to be more vocal. I think when you and I were growing up, we were not that vocal. We were vocal, but not as vocal as these kids are today. 
Well, because we were told um, we were raised during a time, Virgil, where kids were seen and not heard, and our yeah. parents did the our parents did the um, the talking. Uh, now this you know this generation has been allowed to and uh, to speak their mind and stand up for themselves, and um, you know keep in mind, but you know what you know when we talk about kids don't listen. Well, kids are always watching and listening. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for the listeners out there who may have been born during the civil rights or may have grown up during the civil rights or had parents that were in the civil rights and at family reunions and holidays, you know, you had those conversations about what was going on in the African-American community, uh, you know, law enforcement. Kids listen to that. Kids hear that. Uh, kids hold on to that stuff and they and they talk about it. And, and so now that's why. You're seeing that. And so those kids, kids who now have kids, who now have kids, who um, are now seeing it and now being active in this role. And I'll be honest with you. I think the election of of President Obama really energized the younger generation to to say, we can do this. We do have a voice. Our voice does matter. Our voice does matter. So I think you guys got a different generation of kids now. Yeah, you do, and and they're using technology. <laughs> they're definitely using technology uh, to get their uh, points across and their message out. And um, you know, and and what comes along with that, Keith, is they are more more vocal. And as you know, uh, in 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 our profession, uh, police officers do not like somebody to question their authority. And when you have a 15-year-old or a 16 or, or even an 18-year-old questioning why you're asking them to do certain things and you're questioning their authority, that escalates things up to another level versus them talking with the, the, these youth and explaining to them why they're doing what they're doing, but it, it turns very confrontational. Um, there is a video that, that – um, that's out there that, that occurred in Philadelphia, uh, I believe, last year, a year before last, where a group of police officers were – these kids were actually leaving school, walking to a bus stop, where, where because they have to ride the, the city transit bus. They don't ride, you know, school buses like we have. And uh, they were stopped and harassed by police officers because it was a hot day, Keith, in Philadelphia where the temperature was like almost 90 degrees and the kids were walking without the, one of the boys was walking without his shirt and they, he was put in the backseat of a car questioned and the other kids saw this, but it just goes back to those officers. There were male and female. They just lost any chance of building any kind of positive relationship with those group of kids and those group of kids know, other kids, so now they're going to tell them about, hey, man, that that cop right there, he ain't no good. And so that just builds distrust uh, for years to come. Well, I'll tell you, we've done it to ourselves uh, in this profession. We've done it, and um, you know, but we can get out. I'm, I'm a, I'm a firm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a realist. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist that it's going to take a lot of work. And, and, and the foundation now, is there, man. Man, you don't sound too positive about that, brother. 
Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm a realist. Remember, I said, remember, I said yeah. I'm optimistic, but I'm a realist too. Yeah. I mean, let's let's yeah. let's keep it real. I mean, that's what we're all about yeah. on this show. Let's keep it real. We've got a long way to go. Man, the roadmap is there. The foundation has been poured. It's there. Mm-hmm. You know the train. So so this. You know what type of? There's no additional training that you can provide or you can create for law enforcement. It's there. What we're seeing mm-hmm. on TV is training. What we're teaching in our academies regarding um, uh, cultural diversity, implicit, explicit bias, bringing in some of the top people to teach these classes, revamping uh, field training programs, revamping uh, probationary private, adding steps to hiring to the hiring process, um, those type of things, the wellness programs, the resources are there. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah they, some people just don't get it. The resources are there. So, so if somebody yeah. says we don't have the money, man, you don't have, there are plenty of people out here that will train your department and train your officers on cultural diversity or common sense or, or we're well, not common sense, emotional intelligence all you got to do is sit down and ask somebody to help you. You can't sit here yeah. and act like you know everything as a police department, as a police chief. You cannot sit here and act like you know everything. You can't sit here yeah. and act like nobody can tell you. You've got to be a student of the profession. And it's very frustrating when I hear people say, well, they keep cutting our funding. Well, guess what? No matter how much funding they cut, we still have a job to do. No matter how much funding they cut, we still have to treat people with respect. Yeah, yeah, we do. Hey, Keith, we need to jump in and, and take – we're coming up on our second break. So we're going to take this break. Uh, you're listening to You on the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Body camera footage shows two black teens walking in the North Tulsa street when they are approached by a police car. Audio doesn't capture what is said, but one officer gets out and follows the teens. The situation quickly escalates as officers attempt to detain one of the teens. What you guys doing? Why are you trying to choke? Why are you trying to choke his neck? The video shows what appears to be one of the officers with his forearm around the teen's neck. Nobody's choking. Nobody's choking it. still out. One of the officers attempts to explain the reason for the stop. Why are you putting handcuffs on my car? Well, all he, all, he, on him, sir. all he was doing was jaywalking. We just want to talk with him. Does he have anything then he had to act sir? a fool like that. Several seconds later, police placed the other teen in handcuffs. Then, words that have reverberated around the world since the death of George Floyd. I can't breathe. You're fine. I can't breathe. Can you let him go? I can't breathe. Things escalate further as the officer tries to place the teen in the police car. Hey, he's talking to me. Sit down. He's talking to me. Sit down. Once in the car, the teen appears to assault the officer. Do not headbutt me again. You understand? Do you understand? The video also shows what appears to be the teen spitting on the officer. The officer is seen kicking the teen before dragging him out. The entire ordeal lasted about 20 minutes before officers arrested one teen and let the other go. We want to welcome you back to You and the Law. You just listened to another audio clip of an incident that took place in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, earlier this year uh, in June. And that incident is is under investigation. But uh, listeners, we want to remind you that uh, there are several other great shows that are on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And one of those shows is the Bachelor News Radio Show uh, with the host, L.A. Bachelor, 
the show comes on every live every Monday and Thursday at 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at blogtalkradio.com. That's LA, blogtalkradio.com, L.A. Bachelor. And you can also catch out the rebroadcast every day at 8, at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And if you're interested in having your own show on the Bachelor uh, News Radio Network or if you're interested in advertising with us, um, send us an email at labachelor40 at gmail.com. That's labachelor40 at gmail.com. And listen and stay informed on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Um, Keith, uh, uh, another disturbing video uh, that involved two black teens, and as simple as, as something, you want to say jaywalking, and, you know, you know, I have to ask myself, you're walking down a street, there's nobody else on the street, there's not any other cars, uh, and you're stopped because you are jaywalking, and that is just like, come on, man, can, can you find something else to to contact these kids, uh, make contact with these youth about because, again, yeah, it's on uh, the officer's body cam. And, you know, to let our listeners know, this this uh, Tulsa Police Department uh, did an internal investigation about uh, how this incident uh, played out. But, again, Keith, it just goes back to, man, you know, the kids were questioning why are you doing what you're doing? We didn't do anything. We're just walking down the street. You know, man, I'll tell you, it's the same. I remember getting into law enforcement and, uh, you know, it was, we were trained, we were taught in the academy, uh, anything that you can, anything that you can find to stop someone on, do it. Uh, depending on, depending on uh, what area of town you were. And, you know, you want to find something because they, they probably just came from stealing something or if they're not on their way to steal it, if they haven't, they're on their way to steal. And so for years in the mid, in the mid to late eighties, that was the way officers were trained. Uh, you know, to, everybody was suspicious, especially if you are, and I was just talking to a good friend of mine who's been on the show previously. And we were talking today and I was, I was, I was, we were talking about, how we were trained and the, the type of scenarios and the things that happened when we went through and every scenario. And I, I kid you not every scenario that we went through in the police Academy was in what was considered the projects. Every scenario was based on that. Now I don't mean we were actually in the project, but every scenario was based on an incident that occurred in the projects. There was never any incidents that occurred down in the entertainment district. It was always an incident that occurred in the projects. Uh, if if we did a scenario about a bank robbery, well, those suspects were headed to this specific project, and 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 so that's you know what are you doing? You're pro- you're programming people to think that everyone that lives in a certain area, or to the fact that you've got to stop everyone. Uh, and when I was a field training officer, that's one of the first things that I told people: you don't have to stop everyone. You don't. Everybody out here, everybody out here is not a criminal. Just because a person drives a certain car, lives in a certain area, people have a right to live and drive where they want to. 
you'll know when someone commits an offense. There's enough there's enough people out here committing crimes that you will run into those individuals. But you don't have to get out here and try to fail. And, and we were taught that's what a good cop is. A good cop is someone who goes out here and they find people doing stuff. Well, mm-hmm. what I've seen happen, Virgil, is that you build a person's head up so big and their ego so big, then what happens is in order for them to hold on to that reputation, then they start making stuff up or they mm-hmm. start looking for little bitty things. You know, we do have discretion, and that's one of the things that we never want to lose as a police officer because that's a, that's a privilege for us to be able to use discretion, to have discretion. But everybody doesn't understand what discretion is. Everybody doesn't use the proper discretion. That Those are the things that get us in trouble. Yeah. And, and the biggest, you know, and, you know, for those who are just now tuning into the show, uh, this is uh, part four of the series where we're talking about breezing the gap. And, and today, listeners, we're, we're talking about how uh, police officers can uh, better uh, – Interact with with our kids, and uh, uh, you know the title of the show is "Cops and Kids Bridging the Gap." And you know, oftentimes, Keith, we're just seeing so many bad encounters, and and the fact that at some point, you know, I'm a parent, you're a parent, I've got grandkids, uh, you've got grandkids, um, our listeners have the, the same, and so. You know, I think people are trying to figure out what are the rights that these kids have when they're interacting with the police. Uh, because oftentimes, Keith, and this is a big one of the, the questions that uh, I've been asked, well, oftentimes these kids don't have any ID on them. So when an officer asks, right. well, do, can I have your ID? And they say, well, I don't have ID. And then all of a sudden you hear an officer say, well, you're supposed to carry your ID with you at all times. Well, come on, man. This is a 15-year-old kid. What 15-year-old kid? When you were 15-year-old, you didn't have an ID. So why would you, again, it just goes back to the, 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 think, the thought process of what are you doing? I mean, you're acting like you're dealing with a, a 21-year-old, but you're talking to maybe a 13- or a 14- or 15-year-old kid. Don't expect them to have an ID on them. And first of all, they're not even driving; they're walking. But I've I've seen video clips where officers are saying, "Well, you're supposed to have an ID on you." You know, yeah. again, I mean, it's almost like you just told you you look at it and just like, man, come on, you you really need to get into another profession because well, you, you know, Ver- this is going down south. Well, you know what, Virgin, and, and, and there's going to be officers listening to the show and say, man, all y'all are doing, that's not what we're doing at all. We're talking we're about the individuals the who, no. no, we're talking about the individuals who just don't get it. We're talking about yeah. those individuals that put on a badge and put on a uniform that just don't get it. And as a matter of fact, if there are people out there who, who think that we aren't supporting those, you ought to also be upset with these individuals that put a blemish on our on our on our profession i always go back to the george floyd incident and people say man you got to get over it no we won't get over it as a police chief i won't get over it as an african-american man i will not get over it because what i will tell you is you cannot justify putting your knee on someone's neck for eight minutes and 47 46 seconds while you have other officers standing around 
when a person's handcuffed and a person's complying and he's yelling for his mom and other people are telling you, give the man a break. So you can't. You, you, you can't get over that. You shouldn't get over that. That should be ingrained in your mind. And as a police chief, those are the type of discussions you better be having with your officers because every police department is one incident away from being on national and world news based on the fact that some officer doesn't know how to uh, honor the privilege that they have of being a police officer. That's the frustrating part about this profession. People don't realize it's a privilege. It's not a right. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it, this is a, a career that you can have a, a lot of fun with. This is a career that you that you know you're going to deal with uh, an element of society that is not a lot of people don't see. But, you know, when we're talking about, you know, building positive relationships and and bridging the gap with not just our youth, but with our with every age group, um, and we continue to see uh, the same old thing over and over again. And you know, just like you mentioned earlier, Keith, that you know we've got listeners who listen to the show. They're in law enforcement, and they're going to uh, assume that we're just really downgrading a lot of police officers, but we're not. The point that we're trying to make is that there are parents out there and all of us are parents. And so I'm pretty sure even those of us who are in law enforcement, we've had to have that same talk with our kids. And I think, Keith, is this a conversation that we're not really openly having uh, with the public? Because, again, Every cop, almost every cop I know, has children, and uh, and so, how is it for a police officer to have that conversation with his son or daughter? I mean, have you had that talk with your daughter? Absolutely, uh, and my daughter's had that talk with me. <laughs> she's yeah. she's had that talk with me. Uh, my my daughter is a my baby girl is a uh, and all my girls, but especially my baby girl is very active in the NAACP and the black students government. And she uh, participates in the protest and uh, real big on peaceful protest, but really big on daddy explain to me what's going on. Explain to me why this is continually happening. You're not like that. You, you don't, you don't run your department like that. You know, why is this going on throughout the nation? I mean, those are the questions she's asking me, you know, when she has her friends over, we have those conversations. Um, it is what it is, man. Uh, you know, you've got to have those conversations. Uh, but at the same time, she's proud of who her dad is as a police officer, but but she's not blind enough to know that this profession uh, can, 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 can do some, some improving. Hey, Keith, we, we got uh, uh, one of our listeners calling and uh, listening to us in South Carolina, uh, and Sam uh, made a comment. He said that in his town, uh, I guess the police were busted for writing tickets and making arrests in the black neighborhoods to make money for the city. Uh, they were also found to plant evidence. Some some of them were were black. Um, you know, so at the same time, we do know that not all uh, there's there's a lot there's some black officers who um, do some things that that are that should not be done. So this isn't just a a thing where we're talking about white police officers, 
uh, this is a thing of talking about police officers because one of the things that I have told everybody is that we should there's a there's a color and that color is blue and oftentimes you hear people talk about that 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 blue wall and so Keith we're gonna we're gonna jump into our break uh, we'll finish this conversation on the other side of the break you're listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. listeners to you and the law home of the bachelor news radio network uh, we want to remind our listeners that the call-in number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130 that's 646-929-0130 and if you are just uh, coming on and checking us out uh, we want to remind you that if you cannot listen to the show entirely live you can catch the rebroadcast of you and the law at uh, 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And go back and check us out. We're on every day of the week uh, at those times. And uh, just make sure that uh, you check us out. And also you can follow us on our social media platforms. We're on, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. So just type in search you and the law and you will definitely find us and, and like us on you and the law and, and share your thoughts and, and comments with, with us and we'll definitely uh, reply to them. So uh, Keith, this is a, again, a, just a, a great conversation that we're having with our listeners about uh, cops and kids bridging a gap. And uh, you know, the question is, is, you know, I, I'm very, just like you, I'm optimistic, never somebody who will say, no, that's not going to happen. But there's a lot of work, as you stated, that has to be done, Keith. And we continue to see, and I guess I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to ask the, our listeners, too, and, and also definitely call in, or if you're on the line, you know, leave us a message. Um, but are, are we are we dealing with a generation of, of kids who are seeing so much from school shootings, from uh, the, the riots, the, the, the protesting, uh, the police, you know, killing of unarmed black uh, men and women is, are we asking our youth to, to just kind of dismiss that and say, Hey, give these cops a, a second chance. Uh, What's your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think I think it's like anything. We've always been taught, you know, I know I was taught to respect police. But I think what you've gotten to now is you've got a generation of kids say, hey, I, I deserve respect also. Uh, one of the things that I want to go back to the, the gentleman from uh, uh, Sam from South Carolina. Uh, let me let me say this, Sam. It is a concern that you do have those departments in the nation. Ferguson was 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 the prime example of a department that was funding their police department and funding their city government based on the traffic tickets and warrant fines of their community, which is 87 percent African-American. And so you do have uh, cities that do that, that that tickets aren't written for uh, to to change the behavior. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's written for uh, funding and money. And that's where you get in trouble. Then you get into uh, quotas. And then when you start getting into quotas, then that's when you start losing your, the, the, the purpose of you doing your job. That's why many states have criminal actions against departments that have quotas because that's a dangerous precedence to set. And it's, and it's basically, hey, we need new uniforms, so you all need to go out here and write this many tickets. Uh, and we know that if you write certain areas tickets, they can't pay tickets, they'll turn into warrants, and the fines will double, sometimes triple. And so what you don't, what people don't realize is when you do that, then you're, you put someone in jail, then you're taking them away from the opportunity to make money to feed their family and, and to pay their bills. And so then you, then you, you start this cycle of, of a pipeline to prison. And, and so it, it is frustrating. So, um, yes, but I will yeah, say good friend, a good friend of ours, a good friend of ours is on the line, Dr. Bell, Dr. Lee Bell. What's going on, Dr. Bell? Well, trying to stay socially distant and masked up. <laughs> what about you well, guys? Hey, hey, we're doing the same thing. Sometimes, you know, it's almost kind of like you got to double mask up. Yes. <laughs> well, well, today, well the reason, hey, hey, I'm Bell, the, reason that Chief, the reason that Chief Green has a double mask up because he's not a very handsome person. So yes, ah. <laughs> oh. Doctor Bell, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that I'm gonna leave that right there, but but I will <laughs> say, you know, you can go to our Facebook page and you can look at you can look at look at us and see who's more handsome <clears throat> and and who's the who's the older one. So so Doctor Bell, what's on your mind today, sir? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got up this morning and I saw a clip on TV about uh, the kids in Chicago showing the new police officers around their neighborhoods. And it brought a smile to my face. I said, yes, there is hope in the world. (laughs) I think that that exercise works for the children and it also works for the officers. Mm-hmm. So often our children in certain areas, they have so many trials, tribulations, and traps that they live around. And law enforcement only sees it probably from a law enforcement perspective, not a human perspective. And I think at the same time, it gives the new officers a chance to build rapport with officers, and it takes away some of that 
stigma us against them. So I applaud the uh, officials who put that in place and who thought of that. Well, you know, Dr. Bell, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Dr. Bell, and I appreciate that. And and, uh, Chief Brown in in, in Chicago are good good friends with me and and Chief Green, and, and, and I have a nephew that's a commander there. And I know those they're doing a lot of good things in the community that that you know the, the unfortunately the media floods the uh, TV with uh, all the negative things that are going on in Chicago. But let me tell you, they're doing a lot of good things in those neighborhoods that don't get a lot of attention. Uh, which you saw this morning, it's going through a lot of cities. We just don't get to see that. The best program that I think they were letting get away from us in uh, law enforcement is our Explorer program, and that is one of the best programs if managed correctly and if um, if utilized, managed and utilized correctly, uh, that could be one of the best recruiting tools because you are taking those kids from the inner city. You're taking those kids from your hometown. You're putting them with officers. They're learning uh, responsibility, leadership. They're learning teamwork. And you're hoping to recruit those young men and women. And even if you don't recruit those young men and women, you're still laying a foundation for those young men and women to go out here and do the right things and want to, and want to be really successful. So I think any those programs exist. We just got to put more effort into, into getting them funded and keeping them. How difficult is it uh, for, for funding to, to get funding for those programs? It's not fun. It's not difficult at all, uh, Dr. Bill. The thing about it is you just have to want to do it. You can always find the funding for what you want to do. Uh, a lot of times you have officers on the department that will volunteer their times. Or you can even, depending on your staffing levels, you can even appoint an officer to that full-time duty. So it, it, there's ways to do it. You have retired officers that you can bring back. Some departments have reserve officers. Some officers, some have some. I mean, so there's so many different ways you can do it. If you if you if you really want to do it, you can make it happen. Okay. Yeah, and you know, and another thing, Doctor Bell, it's it, this is, when you get the community involved, whether it's your your local churches or uh, other civic organizations, your your fraternities, your uh, sororities, those are organizations that you know law enforcement can reach out to. Uh, and, and, and can bring them on to be a partner uh, with helping uh, put those programs together and have some sustainability to where those programs will, will last longer. And I think what what law enforcement is missing off, oftentimes is that there's a lot of resources out there, but we're just not going out there knocking on the doors. We're expecting people to come to us, but go out and knock on the doors especially to those uh, fraternities, those, uh, fraternities for sororities, and uh, those organizations, they, they've got a lot of different resources, and it doesn't cost a lot of money to, to put those things together. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, gentlemen, for the work that you do and you have done. And Chief Green, we now have a Chief Green here in uh, Flint as our new police chief. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, he's, I guess, uh, a career person within that department. I, no, he came from another neighboring agency over to Flint. So um, it's good to see that the, the green name is, is moving up in the world. 
Yes, he actually worked about 27 years in the local sheriff office before he took a local municipality job as police chief, and then he came back to Flint, where he uh, was born and raised. So hometown yeah. guy doing well. Well, that's good. That's good. Wish him, we wish him all the, the success in the world because Flint, as you know, they've, they've got a lot of challenges going on, and but uh, wish him well, but uh, we definitely appreciate you being a loyal listener to us, and uh, man, continue to listen to us and share with your your friends and family uh, about the show. And and um, feel free to call in anytime, Doctor. Okay. Hey, Keep hey, hey Doctor, this is L.A. And um, I, I want to ask the three of you a question, if you don't mind. Um, and, and the reason why I thought about it, Doctor Bell's in Flint, Michigan, and the city has been taken over by the state of Michigan, um, which I'm assuming means everything, Doc. Um, how dangerous is that to, to the chief um, when, when say, the state comes in, Chief uh, Humphrey, you're in Arkansas, and uh, Chief Green, of course, you're in, in, in Oklahoma. Uh, how dangerous is it, is it when the, the state comes in and controls everything? How does the jurisdiction work if if uh, the sheriff department takes over, or, or do they already have that um, that power over, say, maybe not over your agency, but they have sort of uh, unlimited power going into different neighborhoods, different situations, making arrests and things like that. Can you explain to your listeners about that? Yeah, yeah. If I, if I can, so so I think I think that. It's sort of it's sort of like a DOJ consent decree. Uh, basically, what they're saying is you can't manage your city or you can't manage your department. So we're going to have someone to oversee to make sure that you're following these guidelines to get back in good in a, in a good in a good status. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the, the daily operations continue, but to ensure that you're doing the right things, your policies, your funding, things like that, you have somebody monitoring that. So the state has said, can't run your city. You don't have the, you don't have what it takes. The people don't have what it takes to run your city. So we're gonna, we're gonna babysit you. We're gonna help you get your city back reestablished, uh, and so that hopefully at some point, uh, you can, uh, we can give the control back to the city. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the state police are coming in doing stuff. It just really, you know, depending on the situation. But it just basically depends. It's a bad management of an organization, and they're coming in to help them get to, to show them how it's supposed to be done. I mean, Doctor Bell, am I am I right on that in that situation with Flint, or am I missing something? No, our case wasn't like that per se. The police chief re, he retained autonomy as far as we know. We had a influx of state police. They okay. were. They had an increased presence on the street. Okay. They would not. They would not answer calls as it relates to shootings or stabbings or things of that nature. What they did was harass black people. Okay. There, there, there was an uh, increase in police residents interaction from everything from motor vehicle uh, mishap 
to black people jaywalking. I got you. And, okay. and the thing about that, these state troopers mainly are white. They have had very little interaction with black people. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, they were yeah. occupying force. Okay. Okay, Doctor, but you explained that to me. So basically what you're saying, they've come in, because what I was talking about earlier was like a conservatorship, but what they've come in basically is take over the the safety, the public safety for the city of Flint because they feel as though that presence is needed. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that 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 could be dangerous. That's that's yeah. dangerous because <laughs> because there's no the the training is different and the mindsets are different, totally different. Without yeah, a doubt. Especially, yeah, especially when you've got officers. Uh, you know, you got a mixture of state troopers and a mixture of other law enforcement who their primary role has not been dealing with, especially in, in Flint, where there's a large population of, Af- of African-Americans, of dealing with people on that level. So it's more of enforcement enforcement versus any kind of thought about let's build a relationship with the people that we're uh, interacting with. So, hey, guys, we're, we're coming up on the last couple of minutes of the show. Um, you know, we got about three minutes uh, before the – this uh, great show ends, but Dr. Bell, we definitely thank you for calling in and listening to to you and the Law and the Bachelor News Radio Network. It it, it means a lot, sir. Okay, well, again, thank you for your service. All right, and thank exactly. you. All right, thank you, thank you. Hey, 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 hey LA, but man, that because that's a whole totally way, a different way of doing policing. Whole totally yeah, way of is. doing policing, and it is that's that's sad. It is. Hey, hey guys, hey Keith, we want to uh, let our listeners know next week, uh, man, we're going to have a, I, I'm really looking forward to next week's show. Uh, we're going to have on um, a, a brother who is very successful in the law enforcement industry. He's, uh, he's a former FBI uh, agent. He's been an instructor at the uh, FBI Academy. He's, he's been a, a federal prosecutor. But Keith, one of the, he, him and a group have started, he's the CEO of a, uh, of a group called Dedicated to Community. And uh, this past week, we met through a mutual friend, Keith, uh, Sarah Banner. Uh, he and I met yeah. through her. And so uh, we've been communicating back and forth, and, and I reached out to him because last week they announced a, an amazing partnership with his group with uh with the Miami Heat uh in the Miami Police Department and so the Miami Heat is is partnering with dedicate uh, dedication to community and they're funding uh providing this service to the Miami Police Department to train their officers on on various things of how to interact with the community so next week is going to be an amazing show with uh with, his name is uh uh, is Quentin Williams, but but everybody calls him Q. Uh, a very good brother. Um, he's even got a background playing in, in football from Boston College, Keith. So you know he's uh, very well versed. And uh, uh, again, I, I'm looking forward to that and and just that having a conversation with him. And he's also going to have on on him on the air with us, Keith, uh, one of the representatives from the Miami Heat. So looking forward to okay. it. Okay. It's going to be an amazing well, when show. You say, well, yeah, before we go, you know, when you say 
you say Q, I hope he's not an Omega, you know, because we only talk to Sigmas on this on this show. So I just want to make sure <laughs> Q is his name. We just we we don't talk to Sigmas and Zetas on this show. Well, hey, he may be listening to the show, Keith, and I'll tell you what. So okay. he may take up that issue with you come 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 next week <laughs> on the show. But but hey, uh, listeners, we definitely want to thank you all for listening to us uh, uh, today on the Bachelor News Radio Network and. We'll see you next week. Uh, you listen to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.